are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 1, I read that it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake Genesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were going out of them and were washing their nets. And Jesus entered into one of those ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he should thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. And when he had finished speaking, or left off speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down thy nets for a draught of fish. And Simon answered and said unto him, Master, and he should have never used that word. It's a term of unbelief. Judas Iscariot used that name. And uh, Simon Peter should have never used that name. Rather, he should have said, Lord, as he did further down in the, in the uh, story. But he said, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken or caught nothing. <laughs> Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes. And their nets began to break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so full until both began to sink. And Simon Peter saw it, and when he did, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord, not master, O Lord then. For he was astonished at all that were with him at the great draught of fishes that they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed Jesus, followed him. Now I'd like to speak from this account in Luke chapter 5 from them tonight on this subject, the one motive, the only motive in Christian service and Christian activity to God's glory. I wonder if we're in the center of God's will as preachers and deacons and Sunday school teachers. What is that compelling factor in your life that pushes you on? What is it on the inside of you that has given a charge and a challenge to encourage you to preach or to serve as deacon or teach a Sunday school class? What is that drive-in motive behind you? Now, I'd like to submit to you that there are some motives that I think to be unhealthy, some motives that I don't believe to be in the center of God's will, some motives that are not Christian motives and good motives, and sooner or later, those motives will, will reflect in your, in your ministry or your service unto God. There's only one motive, and I'll point that one genuine motive in Christian service out in a moment. But I'll have you note negatively that our motive in serving the Lord is not slavery. Now Paul said, I'm a bond servant of the Lord Jesus, and I am. We've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We agree to that. We say, yea, Lord, thy servant heareth. Speak, thy servant heareth. And the last one of us that are saved by grace Beneath the tabernacle tonight, instantly would stand and testify, I'm a bond servant, and I'm a bond slave to Jesus Christ. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll be what you want me to be. I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price. 
That's why preachers uh, carry on and deprive themselves of their homes and their families and their children in order to carry the gospel. That's why these missionaries who stood this morning have counted the cause and reckon all to be lost in order that they might find the center of God's will for their lives. I recognize that we are bond servants and bond slaves to Jesus. And he's king and, and lord of our lives. And we're to reckon that to be so. And so positionalize ourselves as humble and meek and contrite at the feet of King Jesus. Well, Brother B.B. Carlwell over in Greenville oftentimes uses that expression when he speaks of the Lord, King Jesus. And I like that. King Jesus. The Bible calls him King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But I say to you that my motive in serving God is not purely and simply the fact that I'm a bond servant of Jesus. I'm a slave to Jesus. It ought to be deeper than that and more blessed than that and higher than that could ever become. Why, there'd be multitudes of people if they were literal slaves to certain individuals would serve those individuals. But the Lord, he did my preaching and my service, I pray, is much higher, much broader, much deeper than the fact that I'm a bond slave and a bond servant to King Jesus. Then I even know, too, that my motive in Christian service is not the praise of men. I serve not to hear men applaud or hear men say, well done. Now, I believe a word of commendation ought to be spoken. I, I, I think a pastor ought to learn how to speak a word of commendation. I've known pastors sometimes, I think, that, that drive their people too much and criticize and find fault and, and humiliate and dignify their people constantly. I've been with pastors in meetings that actually embarrass me by their, by their rude and, and unthoughtful criticism of their own members. Now, I, I recognize sometimes a pastor must do that. No, no man's worthy of the call to the task of a pastor unless he's willing to reprove and rebuke and exhort when that's necessary. But to do that every time you get in the pulpit is a height of folly as far as I'm concerned. I believe you ought to give recognition where recognition is due. When you've got a deacon that serves, you ought to recognize him. When you've got a teacher that excels, you ought to recognize him. When you've got a, a, a missionary candidate that sacrifices, you ought to commend him. When you've got a soul that bruises himself in the highways and hedges, you ought to be encouraged with the word of commendation from the pastor. And preachers like for folk to come around and say, God bless you, brother. You've been a blessing. Somehow it puts a charge sometimes out dried out and, and used up storage, spiritual storage batteries that have set us on fire just to have somebody come and grip our hand and say, Preacher, you're a blessing. With the word of God, or with your conduct, or with your life, you've been a blessing. Now, I'm not preaching here people say that. Fact is, sometimes people don't say that to me, but I keep on preaching. Fact is, sometimes they say the opposite, but I keep on preaching nonetheless. But we appreciate the praise of men. But is that the only reason you're serving God? I found church members, I found teachers, I found deacons that, that wanted the praise of men and the rest of pastor constantly uh, encouraged or championed them or commended them. They soon fell by the way and their service came to an end. That kind of service is not genuine. Is that your motive in serving God? Just the, applause, just, just the applause of men and the praise of men? If it is, then your motive is unhealthy. Your motive is not deep enough. And genuine enough, my motive in serving Jesus is not the praise of men. Then again, my motive in serving the Lord is not success. All of us aspire to be successful. I wouldn't give it down the column for a preacher that didn't want to be a blessing and didn't want to be successful and didn't have any, any, uh, any uh, ambition or aspiration about his life. 
I sometimes uh, ride along the highway and, and uh, quote the song. I can't sing, but I, I love the song others. Lord, let me live for others. Day by day, let me live for others. That my prayer might be for others. Now I want to burn my life serving God and serving my fellow man, serving my church. And, and without any reservation, kill myself. They, they, they pay my salary. They put food on my table, clothing upon my back. And I'd be all but a renegade unless I burn myself for the people that support me and love me as their pastor. And I want to be successful. I, I, I want to be the best pastor I can. I want to excel in my preaching. I want to excel in my soul. And I want to excel as a church, as a pastor and people. I don't want Tabernacle Baptist Church to be second to any church in Greenville in any aspect, spiritually, materially, financially, uh, as far as soul saved. I want us to be first. And we want to be first. And I think that's healthy and good. We ought to do that. But is that the only motive that we have in serving God? The fact that we've been successful, I had a measure of success behind us, or that we've had a measure of success in the present. If that's the only motive that you have in serving God, it's not a good motive, and not a genuine motive, and not a viable motive. You ought to serve God if you've been defeated. You ought to rise from the ruins of defeat to lift the standard to the glory and to the honor of God. You ought to rise from the hour of discouragement. To sing all hail the power of Jesus' name. You ought to rise from that which seems to be humiliating. To squire your souls and look them all in the face and sing amazing grace. A new and a new and a new one until your time day. Are you serving God only because you've been successful? Your motive is not good. Your motive is not real. It's not viable. We ought to serve God if we're not successful. If, Moses, if, if Noah had preached only because of his success. The ark would have never been completed. And not even his house would have been delivered. But Noah preached and built and warned and exhorted. And as far as we could tell, without any success, but he was faithful. By faith, by faith, Noah being warned of God. Now it's going to be successful. But that's not a real motive and a good motive in serving the Lord. Then I have a note forth that uh, my, service, my motive in serving the Lord is not reason. Not based on reason. Sometimes the Lord asks us to do the unreasonable thing. And we, we don't have time or the authority to sit down and say, Now, Lord, except you show me the end, except you reason this thing out with me, except you tell me where I'm going and how I'm going to get there, I'll not move and I'll not preach and I'll not pastor and I'll not be a missionary and I'll not be an evangelist unless you pull the curtain back and let me see the end. If that's your motive in serving God, you may as well stop now. Sometimes the Lord asks us to do the unreasonable thing. I wouldn't be at all surprised if this morning, while some of those missionaries stood on this platform, there were not folk inside this tabernacle who said, is that reasonable? Is that man doing the right thing? Is that mother doing the right thing? And from a human standpoint, the last one of them are doing the unreasonable thing. But if God says go, then they must go, though they cannot see what 10 years may hold in store, or 15 years may hold in store. My motive in serving God is not human reason. Sometimes the Lord has called upon me to make choices that from a human standpoint were unwise decisions. When I became pastor of Tabernacle Baptist Church in Greenville, as far as the natural is concerned, I made an unwise choice. I, I left a church that was a good, strong church. And Brother Joe Helbedians had followed. Still a strong church. And I had a wonderful congregation of people, about 450 members at a beautiful church building. 
and a lovely parsonage to live in. They built it while I was pastor, and I was the first pastor to live in a brand new parsonage. And they paid me a good salary. And I was going every week in meetings that they never criticized. I never was in my prayer meetings on Wednesday night that they never criticized. I pastored the church nine years and could have stayed there the rest of my life. But God said, I want you to leave that and go to Greenville and start from the bottom of church. And I didn't know I'd have a salary. I didn't know I'd have a member. I didn't know what God had in store for me. But for a year and a half, God said, I want you to go to Greenville and build a missionary Baptist church in Greenville. And I wrestled the thing and, and tried to reason the thing out and finally came to the point where I just did it by faith. And I reported to my wife one day, I'm resigning in Pelham Baptist Church. And she said, why? I said, the Lord said, go build a church in Greenville. And it didn't look reasonable. It looked like a foolish decision. But now I look back, that's been nine years ago next month. And I look back over those nine years and I can see the hand of God. Said, Young people teachers, but I think I have a, a more tender spot in my heart for the beginner teachers and primary teachers than any other group in my own church. And I see those men, those women rather come out of my Sunday school departments on Sunday morning. And I recognize that they've sat for an hour in a little room with six, eight kids about their knees, hardly big enough to say the name Jesus, not able to read the name in box car letters. And I think about the, those women. Surely many times they must become discouraged in Sunday after Sunday, giving themselves to small children who can't understand, who cannot read. It looks like all of their time is wasted. And from a human standpoint, the last one of those teachers will throw up their hands and resign and quit. But they don't. They keep on. They keep on. You see. Now, is your motive in serving the Lord uh, simply reason? No. These are negative motives. Not slavery, nor the praise of men, nor past successes, nor reason is a good motive in serving the Lord. Now, I want us to look at the story for a moment. And then I want you to note the one positive motive uh, of Christian service. The Bible motive in Christian service. Now, according to the scripture that I read a moment ago, the Lord Jesus said to Simon, I want to borrow your boat. All night, he said, help yourself. I'm out of business right now, and you can have the boat as long as you want it. We've been fishing all night long, haven't caught a thing. I imagine that was a humiliating confession for a fisherman to have to make. And Simon was that fisherman. I don't know whether anybody around here has that much truthfulness about them or not, but Simon said, all night, if I'd fished all night and caught nothing, I'd be ashamed to say it, but all night. We've toiled and fished, and according to his testimony, we have caught or taken nothing. And we're out of business. Help yourself, Lord. You can have the boat. And so the Lord took one of the boats belonging to Simon and John, James and John, and got in the boat, pushed it out into the water, sat into the boat, and taught those that came to hear him speak as never a man spoke. He spoke as one having authority and not as a scribes. My, those words must have resounded across that water and vibrated in the souls of that multitude that stood on the shores to hear the words that fell from the lip of he who is authority, who spoke not as the scribes, but the very Son of God. And when he finished all of his teaching and preaching, then Jesus said, Simon, I want you to take the same boat and push it out into the deep waters and let your nets down for a draw to fish. And that's when Simon said, Master, I imagine he got a little bit angry and impatient. Why, he said, Lord, you take care of the preaching and teaching. Now, I'm a fisherman, professional, and I'll take care of the fishing side of this party. And we've toiled all night and caught nothing. And I've already thrown the fit my nets in and mended my nets and dried my nets. And you're asking the most unreasonable thing. And if you please, you preach. And I'll take care of the fishing job. But the Lord insisted, push your boat out and 
let those dried, mended nets back down into the salty water for a draw to fishes. Now that was an unreasonable request. And Simon, no doubt, uh, in his soul argued, I don't think he'd ever call Jesus master had he not rebelled against the command of the Lord to launch out into the deep and let your nets down for a draw to fish. But uh, after Jesus insisted, it says in verse 5, and here's the text I want you to remember, please. Simon said, Master, we've toiled all the night and have taken nothing, nevertheless. I want sometimes God to give me a message from the, the neverthelesses of the Bible. The Bible's full of that word, nevertheless. I've never had a message from it, but there ought to be some preaching there. Simon said, nevertheless, at thy word, we'll launch out and let the nets down again. As far as I'm concerned, he's saying, it's a foolish request, a waste of time. Nevertheless, at thy word, we'll let the nets down. Now there's the secret. There's my text. That is the verse I want you to remember. And I want you to leave the tabernacle tonight remembering not past successes, not human reason, not the applause of men. No, no. Not bond slavery, but the word of Jesus. The only motive, the only genuine scriptural Bible motive inside of Jesus is the word and the command of the king and captain of our salvation. At thy word, we'll let the nets down. Well, We'll, we'll note what happened in just a moment. But I want you to note that this faith labor is the key, or at least ought to be the key, of all of our labor for God. And the fact is, if it's, if it's, if it's worthy of God's, God's blessing, or God's honor, it must be faith labor. For example, uh, there is the faith of witnessing. I witness to folks sometimes, and if I, if I witness only because of success, I'd stop a long time ago. If I witnessed only because I had praise and the applause of men, I would have stopped witnessing a long time ago. But Jesus said, go ye into all the world, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. And I keep on witnessing. Not because I'm successful when I witness to people, but I keep on witnessing at the word of Jesus. And there may be a person, a man or woman in this tabernacle tonight, you're discouraged and defeated and despondent. In your witnessing, because you haven't been successful, at least you don't think you've been successful. Listen, why are you witnessing? To be successful or to obey Jesus? Why are you not a gospel track? To be successful or to obey the Lord and get the gospel out of At the word of Jesus, I keep on witnessing. Whether I'm successful or not, at the word of Jesus, I keep on handing out a gospel track. And sometimes the way I confess does become a discouraging. But nevertheless, at thy word, we'll busy ourselves at the task. I was over in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina a few weekends ago. And on Saturday night, some of the brethren carried me out uh, to a fine meal at a restaurant. And we finished about an hour before the service time. And we were meeting in the city mission at Rocky Mountain, downtown. And I uh, got to the mission at 6 o'clock. And, and uh, when I arrived at the mission, the Lord said, Now, son, you've got an hour. And you've got your pocket full of tracks. Why don't you get out here on the street and hand out some tracks? And I said, no, Lord, I'm going to drive 350 miles when I finish preaching tonight. And I'll be on the road all night. Maybe I can relax and rest a while. The Lord said, why don't you get out those tracks? you got your pockets full. And people walking up and down the streets, you see. And I tried to reason and argue with the Lord. And colored people, white people walking up and down the streets. And the Lord said, you've got an hour. Why don't you use this time and get rid of those tracks you've been toting in your pocket? One good way to give out tracks is to carry them around. 
And they'll burn in your pocket if you throw them around enough. And they'll have to get rid of them. And I said, okay, Lord, here I go. And I had to go to the post office. And I walked to the post office. And on the way back, I filled my hands full of tracks. And to the black and to the white and the rich and poor, walked up the street. They didn't know who I was. They didn't have any idea who I was. But I didn't have to do it. My deacons don't demand that I do that. My church has never commanded me to stand on the street corner and hand out a tract. In any city, God, my church has never demanded that of me. But on the inside, I recognized that I had in my hand the power of God's word. Maybe I could plant a seed of God's word in some Negro's hand. And at the word of Jesus, I got rid of the tracts. When I'd given all my tracts out, I went back to the mission and picked up a handful of my books on salvation and got on the street and gave my books away until time to start preaching, you see. At the word of Jesus, I'll keep on witnessing. Is that how you witness and why you witness? Nevertheless, at thy word. And uh, for example, not only the faith of witnessing, but the faith of teaching. You Sunday school teachers, uh, if, you, if you kept on teaching, only by the standard of success, many of you would resign and won't sense you to stop the ministry of teaching. Sometimes it doesn't seem that you are successful. But at the word of Jesus, teaching them to observe all things. At the word of Jesus, we keep on teaching, we keep on teaching, year in and year out, and until we die, at the word of Jesus, we'll keep on teaching, you see. We must do that. Same thing with preaching. If, if, I, if I preached only because I was successful in the eyes of the world, or by the standards of the world, I think I ought to quit preaching a long time ago. You know, when I first started preaching, I, it seems to me I got more done as far as winning souls then than I do now. This apostasy has gotten such a grip upon America now until sometimes I go for meetings and don't see a single person get saved. Brother, you talk about, you talk about being defeated. I, I can remember when that first began to happen to me. Now, 15 years ago, I always had somebody saved, and sometimes a good number. But about 10 years ago or 8 years ago, I got to coming home on Saturday night and remembering that I didn't have a person walk the aisle. Brother, you talk about getting down. You talk about humiliating. And you talk about being defeated. Why, that's enough to defeat anybody. The things are so changed and the apostasy is so mounted up and folk are so preoccupied by everything under the sun until multitudes of preachers these days are preaching by faith like we never have preached by faith before in our lifetime. We preach and sometimes don't see the results. Now maybe that's not true with you, but it's true with me. I'm just, I'm just confessing to you. I don't have the results in my meetings I had eight or nine or ten years ago. As far as souls being saved, I have some, praise the Lord, but not like I used to have. And I find that to be the testimony of multitudes of preachers that I, that I meet up with uh, throughout the land. That's their testimony. Now, if that regulated my preaching, then I'd stop preaching. But by the grace of God, it's not going to regulate my preaching. I want a little bit of what Noah had a whole lot of to keep on preaching while the folk responded to my preaching and not Nevertheless, at my word, just keep on preaching, keep on preaching, keep on preaching until my hair turns as white as a driven snow. I want to keep on preaching. I'm going to intend to do it as long as God gives me breath in my body. So, well, some nobody being saved don't make a difference. Jesus didn't save me to save him. He sent me to preach to them. I'm going to preach to them as long as I live, you see. And that's what you better do. At my word. And by word, Jesus, we'll keep right on preaching. Now, there's been a lot of preachers throwing the towel in in the last eight or ten years. I heard Arthur Blackman make this statement the other night. He said he'd seen more preachers in the last ten years quit the ministry and quit preaching than he'd ever seen before in all of his ministry. 
And I guess Brother Joe might could say amen to that. Uh, preachers getting discouraged and, and getting a job, a salesman or some other kind of job and getting out of the ministry. I've known a few of them as that. This is no time to quit preaching just because the apostasy is upon us or because wildness has its death grip at the throat of the church. God forbid. This is no time to stop preaching. This is no time to stop witnessing. This is no time to stop teaching. This is no time to stop shouting. No. Like never before, we ought to preach and teach and shout and praise the Lord and give God the glory at the word of Jesus Christ. Next 10 years will show me what you've got. You preachers that are here tonight, the next 10 years will demonstrate to this world out there what you've got. And not only the preachers, but the missionaries will be exposed within the next 10 years. And if you haven't got the grace of God on the inside, you throw the towel in and quit. You'll never make the grade. Now watch me. Because I couldn't get hot enough and loud enough to blow these fuses out. Yes, sir. <laughs> Amen. At thy word, Jesus, we'll keep on preaching. Nevertheless, at thy word. All right. Now the only motive, the real motive, the only genuine motive in all of our Christian service, whatever it might be, is nevertheless at thy word. Now I want you to note the results of this faith labor. Faith labor, not fruit labor. Not glamour labor, not numbers labor, not the labor of popularity, but faith labor. I want you to note the fruit of it. There's a threefold fruit. In verse 7, note that there was fruit when Peter obeyed the Lord. In verse 7 it says, And they beckoned their partners which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both ships, until both of them began to sing. God, in his own time and in his own way, gave the fruit. When Peter was willing to labor by faith. Now I may say the devil will threaten. He does threaten. He threatens me. He seeks to discourage me. But when God, in God's own time and in God's own way, sees fit to fill our ship with a great draught of fishes, God is able. I pastor Tabernacle Baptist Church, and if I had my way about it, I'd baptize every Sunday. I don't. By the grace of God, we baptize every month. But I baptize every Sunday. And uh, if I had my way about it, I'd have people walking me out every time I preach being saved. If I had my way about it, I'd have 15,000 members. If I had my way, I'd win everybody in Greenville if I could. But I'm preaching just like I'm going to do that by the grace of God. And in one day, in one day, someday, if it pleased my father, if it pleased my father, he may give me a draw if I'll keep on letting my nets down, you see. If I keep on preaching, he may give me a draw to preach this. He's able to give me a draw of fishes. Sometimes I preach like old Simon. I say, Lord, I've caught nothing. But I, every once in a while I preach and like old Simon, I fall down at the knees of Jesus and say, depart from me, Lord. I didn't have any faith, but you gave it to me anyway, you see. I tell you some experiences to show you how God can give a draw of fishes. And that honors God. I had a deacon in my church one time make this statement. He said, faith honors God. And God honors faith. And I believe there's much truth in that. Faith labor brings fruit in God's own time and in God's own way. Then second, faith labor brought glory. Brought glory to Jesus. Look at verse 8. And Simon Peter, when he saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me, for I am, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He gave the glory to Jesus. Now, that's one virtue in faith labor. 
If we didn't have to labor by faith, then possibly we take some of the glory and some of the praise to ourselves. But when we labor by faith, and when God gives the draw, to, gives the victory, then all the glory goes to God, and that's to the one to whom the glory ought to go, you see. And Simon Peter said, I didn't do it. Well, he didn't have to tell that. Everybody knew he didn't do it. And when God moves and God gives the draw to fish, then everybody knows God did it, you see. And God gets the glory, and that's the way the Lord wants it to be. Faith labor brings glory to God. Human labor, human success, human organization brings glory to man. But when men preach by labor, and, uh, by faith, and teach by faith, and tithe by faith, and serve by faith, then when the victory comes, God gets the glory, you see. Miracle Hill is a demonstration of that. I remember when Tom Kirk came to Greenville, and he started with nothing. I mean nothing. Took over a mission that had been on the defunct and hadn't done anything for years. A mission that was divided, and a mission that was not accomplishing anything, a mission that was not a mission. A mission, as far as I was concerned, didn't even exist when he came and take, take, took it over. Started with nothing. And God's multiplied his labor and added to his labor until Miracle Hill has become a famous place. And God did it. And Tom Kirk can't take you to glory. No, sir, God did that. He, he labored by faith and God added to his faith. And now they've got a tremendous work. And, and God gets the glory. And that's the way it ought to be, you see. Faith labor gives the glory to God. And then number, number three, the third result of faith labor is that it brings encouragement. Look at verse nine. It says, and he was astonished at all that were with him at the drought of fishes which they had taken. And James and John got in on the thing too. They were so discouraged they didn't even follow old Simon Peter out to let the nets down. But when the drought was caught, old Simon I mean, that is John and James got in on the thing too and got encouraged. And the whole group of them were astounded and fell down likewise in encouragement to give Jesus glory. Now, let me say this and I close. Nothing in the world will so encourage our brother and our sister as faith labor. Faith labor. Now, I'm going to say something that may sound like heresy to much. To some of you. It would be trees and make the most of it, but I want you to think it through. I sometimes think a glamorous success that has been maneuvered by organization and human machinery and by the popularity of individuals and the dynamic personalities of individuals. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I sometimes think that kind of success does more damage than good. I'm afraid. You take a young preacher that's never tasted of success and and here's a person that's moved on the scene with a dynamic personality and a well-organized uh, uh, backing to support all of his effort and, and his success is so tremendous until everything moves uh, at his word and everything seems to uh, melt up that he touches. And that young preacher, look at his own ministry and he gets discouraged and, and uh, almost to the point of despair. But you show me a man that'll stay right at the task of preaching, witnessing, and teaching I mean faithful, just right at the task. Maybe not successful, as some that you may know, but right at the job, year in, year out, decade in, decade out, right on through his ministry until his shoulders become stooped and his hair begins to ripen for the grave. I'll show you a man that can stand in the congregation and set on fire the souls of young preachers and say, well, by the grace of God, I'll do that too. Faith labor encourages other people. I, I like to see people's fruit. Yeah, I like to see a great draw to fish, but I'd rather see a man at the word of Jesus lowering his nets 
Just lower his nets. And I, I, I'll let the Lord take care of the draw of fishes. I'm not worried about the draw. I want to see God's servant busy at the Lord of Jesus lowering the net. Let God take care of the results. That kind of labor brings encouragement to our fellow believers. Nevertheless, at thy word, we are lower than us. Now I want you to leave this camp meeting this week determined by God's grace to keep on teaching and preaching and witnessing and serving and tithing and sacrificing. Just keep on. Just keep on. Let the heathens rage and the devils oppose, but at the word of Jesus, just keep on. Just keep on, you see. And that kind of labor sooner or later will bring fruit, will bring glory, and will bring encouragement if you'll stay at the job. That's why I'll hit some prayer. Lord, I pray that you'll help these in this building tonight that's heard me call their minds to this text of Scripture. We want to be successful. We want to win souls. There's not a one of us that doesn't aspire to do that. And I thank you for those that you've helped to win. I've had the joy of baptizing half my congregation. And I thank you for that, Lord. But I want to think that I would have kept on preaching these nine years if I hadn't baptized but a dozen. I pray that I'm not preaching because the Lord seems to bless or has blessed. Lord God, I pray that my ministry is motivated by the command of King Jesus. And Lord, if I know my heart, if the harvest becomes few, and if there is no gleanings, and if there is no applause, and if there is no success, by the grace of God, I want to keep preaching until my last living day in this life. And I pray that prayer, not only for this preacher, but for all the preachers and Sunday school teachers and missionary workers and Christians inside this tabernacle and on these camp meeting grounds tonight. Nevertheless, at thy word, let it be so, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.